Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Duncan. Hello. And Jeff. Yellow. Join us today. We are closing out the winter 2022 anime season. Um, it was kind of a lean one, but you can count on that meaning mm-hmm. extraordinary depth of analysis from every single one of us about all the shows we watched with no exceptions whatsoever. Correct. This is mm-hmm. recorded on uh, April 1st, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a lie, too. <laughs> I do think if we would had this season like when we started recording this cast, we would have thought this as like a generous season. But seasons now just have so many shows. I feel like I certainly can't cover the breadth of stuff comparative to the number of shows. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the way that things have changed even since 2015 when we first started is just ridiculous. There's so many shows. Although if you're not watching Isekai, then there are like half as many shows as <laughs> as otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I was stunned looking at any chart for next season. It's just like, wow. A lot of isekai, and I'm probably not going to be watching any of it. Whatever. It's going to be another lean one for me, probably. I think it speaks mm-hmm. a lot that a lot of the shows we're going to talk about uh, here are second seasons, that there have uh, f- been very few original shows that have caught our attention. One of which, though, uh, I think you're going to tell us about, Ben. Yeah, Duncan pulling the ripcord on uh, Akebi's sailor uniform, uh, which we came into this season very excited about, even if um, both me and Jeff kind of winced at the, like, extreme horny yuriness of it uh but yes this is a show as we've said before about a girl who wears the wrong uniform to a private school and becomes the most popular girl on the planet mm-hmm. uh the end yeah uh, as far as i'm concerned um mm. i wanted to like this a lot <laughs> and i do like it a lot on paper um i think the art is gorgeous i think the setting is gorgeous i like i think i said Many, many times, I like how every girl is like an elemental character design um, or mm. a mashup of several like very elemental character designs like Sleepy Eyes or Five Head or Glasses or Ponytail or what have you, or like Twin Tails, several different Twin Tail configurations. Mm-hmm. And it was nice that this this kind of Yankee girl just charging through life and inspiring people uh it was it was a nice time at first and then that's the whole show and it it never changes and it's yep. just like it's just manic pixie yuri girl coming into people's lives and being like you should learn how to play guitar and you should learn to accept your body and you need help finding a bookmark you lost that is i guess important to you i mean it is important <laughs> to her this show's wicked boring and mm. i have kind of come around to the belief that Mary Sue's are kind of a misogynist critique. That said, now that I've completely damned myself with that implication, um, I am not entertained by watching the most confident girl on the planet make friends with everybody with no exceptions. Like at the end, spoilers, I guess, when she just does like kind of a crappy interpretive dance to like her favorite idols like most popular song and everyone just like watches her doing that and thinks of how how they've been inspired by her over the semester um and then it's like now it's our turn and it's it's just cringy she's not inspiring all her hardship was in the past when we're told that she used to have trouble making friends because of her homeschool situation or whatever Mm -hmm. and even when she fails she succeeds because other characters are just so have so much admiration and respect and affection for like how she tries like i don't know 
kind and benevolent queen of the private school is not my is not my power fantasy, I guess, and it's definitely not my jerk off fantasy. So I just never had anything to really grab onto here, and it was it was hard to get through the back half of the show. I don't know about you, Jeff. Yeah, like I was more or less in the same uh, boat, and I also I think you know going back to your original description of like the horny yuriness of it, I think part of the problem also is that the relationships between the girls like the all of the yuriness is entirely implied and entirely for the enjoyment of the viewer you have very Mm. weird issues with like personal boundaries like girls like constantly like you know resting their head on each other's laps or touching each other in ways that do not seem organic or building to anything it's just oops you know you know it's you know it's the way that you, you mean have... everyone takes off their tops at the end of that one practice like everyone just pulls off their tops yeah <laughs> do you remember and, that and yeah the and, and the whole thing it's like you know it, it 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 feels like one of those you know sex comedies from the 70s where they show uh you know, a slumber party and all the girls are in camisoles hitting each other with pillows and exploring each <laughs> other's bodies. And it's like, I'm probably making too much of this, but you know, the, the manga that this is adapted from is classified as seinen, which is, you know, for listeners who are not aware of adult men. And if, if that is what this was classified as by, you know, producers or editors who are, you know, who know their demographic, I don't think this is the audience that this is being written for is not, the you know commensurate with the characters who are in it and so the whole thing has this like <laughs> weird layer of grime that is not like fun like you would get in you know another show that we're going to talk about later on today but yeah, like, like fun grime oh boy <laughs> yeah yeah like the whole thing just has this like this unspoken skeeziness despite how chaste it is despite how airy fairy it is despite how yeah. like 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 yeah. cavity inducingly sweet it is and, and and just how boring it is like there's no conflict there's no troubles there's no doubts of anything like you you slide in knowing like i'm only going to get good vibes from this and as long as i'm not like overthinking it i i might enjoy it but no it's just it's so boring and it's it was just a huge disappointment i, I feel like i have to speak up andy uh loved this show and he would argue that a show doesn't need conflict to be interesting which i would love to hear him elaborate on because i it's not even like if one person in the school disliked her but even like the haughty like tall girl ojo sama who's like the volleyball star like she comes around, she like respects her try hard because Akebi destroys herself in the bass in the volleyball game that they play where she like goes so hard for a hit that she like flies across the floor and hits the stage at the edge of the gym. And yeah, yeah, like just no friction, no flaws, no uncertainty, no failure. Even failure is actually a moral victory. And like that's interesting. But this is like we said offline, like you said, this is a this is an artist's an artist's show as opposed to a writer's show. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, uh, the best, the best episodes were when a was involved the least, um, which I can't say of any other show with its main character, except for like Monogatari series yeah. for different reasons. <laughs> um, but the same sort of sweaty horniness throughout just uh, presented for a different audience or at least with a, for a different pretext. Yeah. So I, I was, I was wondering guys, cause I, I've watched half of this show and I don't feel as critical about it as you guys. I'm I'm wondering if looking back on how you felt earlier, do you think that it's as the stable of girls expands and gets ever wider? Do you think that 
kind of impacts it because I'm I'm sort of thinking about shows which I've I've watched which do a similar thing and non on Bury uh, comes to mind and part of what that made that work was having a relatively small cast and having a depth of interaction whereas this just seems like wide and shallow. Yeah, it's not necessarily why I disliked it. I think the repetition and like the extreme stock nature of each of each episode is what really got to me and Akebi's like perfect girlness. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are right that like a lot of characters have an episode where they have a profound interaction uh, with Akebi that changes their attitude about something very essential to their being. And then for the rest of the show, they're just in the Akebi fan club and they're just like the people like doing what she says and cheering her on while she tries. And Erica, the twin tails blondie who uh, had the really bad screenshot that we were passing around at the beginning of the season. At the end, like she plays piano for a Kebby's dance that inspires everybody. And she's thinking like this person is one of my closest friends. And then it cuts to uh, to them like in the classroom, like when they first met. And I got the really strong sense that we were supposed to feel the ground covered by this relationship and how much closer they've gotten. And honestly, this could have been the very next episode after they have their episode together. Like there's no... There's no give and take. There's no checking back. There's no watching how these relationships evolve because you just don't like the characters just aren't really part of the story, except as one of like Akebi's henchmen once they've had their episode. So I do think the cast is a bit too large for what a simple thing they're they're attempting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sound really negative on this. I was just bored for most of the time. Yeah. I wonder if I would have been more positive on it if I'd managed to keep up a weekly watch as opposed to like putting off the last four episodes to watch in mm. one morning. Um, that does sound a bad way to watch it. I stopped watching because I was bored of the weekly format, so I don't know what I could have done besides stop watching the show altogether. <laughs> and I will say that as somebody who did keep up a weekly schedule, I don't think that really would have helped you. Fair. Another thing Fair that Nanan Biori has going forth that Akevi does not is that Nanan Biori has jokes and <laughs> anything that's amusing at all. Like the other thing that's about Akebi is that everything is so po-faced and everything is so serious. Like even when the the conflict of the episode is we got to find this girl's, you know, homemade bookmark, it's just played completely <laughs> straight. Like the closest thing they get to a joke is Akebi being excited to show her new friends, the the local mall, and one of the other girls already like knowing about the trendy stores that are there, and she's like, "Someone else knows more about the mall than me," and that's as like that's as much <laughs> as you get. Like that that got like a almost a smile out of me, but the rest of the time I was just like falling asleep. And like you could say a lot of bad things about Nanan Bjork, but you cannot say it is not funny. I mean, John would try, but yeah, <laughs> but no, I, I I agree. No. No, the the bookmark is shown to be this like this totem of her like ambitions as a writer um, from like her winning an essay contest in elementary school. And like, I actually sympathize with that as someone who probably invests too many emotions in like incidental objects that were present during important moments Mm -hmm. in life. Um, But you're not making an anime of, of my like weird inability to let things go. I don't know. It was... Uh, Andy, again, would say that that's an anime original plot. Um, and God, do you feel it even more so than like. I don't know, the episode where like she just sits on that girl's lap for a while 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 uh, they read to each other, which is another reading focused thing. That's very daring to have two reading focused uh, episodes in such a slow anime. The one last thing I'd ask you guys is, uh, d- d- did the season seem complete? Is there going to be 
do you think they're angling for another one or for OVAs or did it seem to round off whatever it was telling? Define angling. Define anything that Kebby <laughs> wants besides. Yeah. yeah, the last episode was like just a constant. Like like Ben was talking about the uh, like the, the dance number. The dance number lasts literally the entire episode. This oh. piano rendition of this Idols like pop song is apparently like 35 minutes long. Wow. And well, it's because it keeps cutting back to the, the rest of the festival as she's dancing, which again, it does not look like a dance that I would be comfortable putting. I mean, that, maybe that's the point. Akika Kebi is so confident that she can just do this like almost a parody of an interpretive dance. Like at one point she like drags her finger across her lips and catches it in her teeth and like... Yeah. People on people in the audience can't see you doing that. What is this dance? But yeah, it's flashing back to like all the other events in in the festival that she uh, that she participated in. So yeah, the whole virtually the whole episode is her like dancing as we just cut to flashback, cut to flashback, cut to people talking. It definitely felt like an ending, um, just kind of unearned because nothing happened in this anime. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. It lacked a hook for me. The yeah. hook was that Akebi is just so cool and like. I already deal with wish fulfillment characters in almost every single anime I watch. We're probably going to be talking about several of them. Actually, I think every anime we're going to be talking about has a wish fulfillment character in it. And like, that's cool. They're cartoons for children primarily. But are you saying Lupin? Lupin is not wish fulfillment, Duncan? Is that what your face is saying? You don't want to be a cool, a cool thief? <laughs> like, uh, there's other of our, sh- our shows which I was thinking of, but... Uh... If we're going to talk about uh, Lupin the Third, well, let's talk about Lupin the Third. Um, because well, it's not in our order, but I think we've brought it up. So, yeah, yeah, let's do um, it. A Kebby, a C plus. Keep going. <laughs> uh, Lupin the Third hit its fiftieth uh, anniversary in uh, twenty twenty one, which is, was kind of a big biggie for anything. And I think for Lupin, it became doubly so when uh, its creator who went went by the nom de plume Monkey Punch, uh, passed away in 2019. (laughs) And so part six is a very reflective Lupin. The first core was concerned kind of with the foundations of the character and with some of his literary peers. Like it was the gentleman detective as a foil to the gentleman thief. That first half of the series was kind of Lupin by the numbers. It was just doing doing what it's always done and doing it well. A couple of showboating episodes where with a star director, but not much more. And this second half has been a bit more meta, strangely. Like, like we've talked about the idea of death of the author as like a analytical concept, but genuinely this second half have felt like a attempt to come to terms with the the loss of its creator of the character and what that means for the work he has done over all these years. The start of the, this current season has a, a very pop art slash psychedelic opening. It's uh, full of like luminescent colours and sort of Warhol-esque screen printing. It's very much reminding you that this was a, a series born in the sort of mid sixties, where like it was where Monkey Punch took Bond and sort of combined him with this gentleman thief to create this character. And this show has been kind of going okay. We're going to introduce this character called uh, Tomoe, who is shown as like this almost perfect woman. She is incredibly smart. She's this sort of demure. She's almost a, a Yamato Nadesco. She's like just this perfect woman. And she's this tutor to uh, Lupin and several other prodigious talents who sort of 
I think the word this is a good use of the word groomed them who 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 both took advantage of them for her own uh, means and also created them into being the kind of people she wanted. She is very much shown as being um, Lupin's creator. And for that to come in a, a season after his his real creator dies felt like a very deliberate decision to me. We have uh, brainwashing uh, these these characters suddenly finding their purposes changed by this person who's who's decided oh, you were this you're now going to be this. The culmination comes down to what's more important in who Lupin is is it his creator or is it those who he's worked with in this case the the, the characters of Jigen Goman and Fujuko who have, have been part of this journey with him and the question it seems to be posing is not nature versus nurture but creation and collaboration which felt like a big philosophical reach for it which I, I wasn't expecting it all folds that in by turning out that all along, the OP was actually a spoiler for the plot because Tomori has has heard that speaking a language changes the way you think about something. If you think about something in a different language, you, you process it differently to you do it in your own language. And she, mm-hmm. she thinks because Lupin's multilingual, that means inside Lupin is multiple Lupins. And, and so all these different color Lupins we see in the OP turn out to be different parts of him within, within him. And she's like manipulated a series of women designed to speak a trigger phases to him in different languages. And it's this massive Manchurian candidate style plot going on to manipulate this master thief prodigy back to her. And it was, it was kind of ridiculous, but kind of interesting like. I, I know neither of you two watch watch Lupin recently, but I, I bet the one thing you can tell me about it is it, from pop culture would be he changes his jacket's color, and there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of fandom and opinion over what that means. Oh yeah, no lie, Duncan. I thought you were going to ask me something else, and I was going to make something glib about the only thing I know about Lupin is that he changes his, col- his jacket color. So you <laughs> playing a different level of chess than I than I'm on apparently. <laughs> I obviously programmed you many years yeah. ago, Ben. To... Yes, you said said something to me in German I did not understand. Like, that idea that there's multiple versions of this character and that this one person created all of them, but that they've now coalesced into something which is kind of its own thing, independent and yet incorporating them all, was kind of like an interesting statement to to make. And then at the very end, like he eventually, he kills his creator and there's been this MacGuffin, this box he's been trying to steal all along, which contains this mystery of his his past and his history and will tell him what he truly is. And he opens the box, looks at it, chucks it into the blazing ruins of the house and just walks off and says, this doesn't matter anyway. Let's go, let's go and just drink beer and uh, have fun. And like, that just seems to be very much the show going. (laughs) It didn't matter if I was this one man's creation and he's gone now, or if I've been this creative thing, which has had people like Miyazaki and uh, Takahata work on him over, over the years. And, as I've said before, he's a, he's a genre which you work within, and within that, there's a, a lot of space for people to explore things. Even the, the the creation of him itself, it turns out. Well, cool. I mean, that's that seems a lot more that seems very appropriate for a 50th anniversary slash like, what is this? Why does this character still exist? The world's so much different than it was 50 years ago, and the idea of like everybody can decide who they want it to be. <laughs> it's a very James Bond answer, but 
it seems like Lupin is still charming and people have varying mm-hmm. relationships to James Bond. Large <laughs> and negative, at least in my friend circle I at this point. Because the, as I mentioned before, the, the TV series is a lot more toned down compared to the original comics and some of the uh, things. But I think that's some of the harder edges are filed off helps with this sort of thing. When, when you have... I, I don't know if that sh- even shows an awareness of of the create of the creators that the Moors have changed, which maybe uh, is the same sort of thing which annoys people about some of the the more recent James Bonds. Like you'll get these hand wringing articles by the press, like "Oh, Bond didn't used to care about women or get emotionally damaged when someone died." Like, no, this wasn't Gosh. the Bond of my youth. Harumph, harumph. Mm-hmm. Unless it was George Lazenby and On Her Majesty's Secret Service, <laughs> but we don't talk about that, do we? Well, that was the that bad was a mistake. One. We brought back Connery to make to make diamonds are fucking forever. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. <Ugh>. Sorry, <laughs> I, I used to be really into James Bond. As if you can't tell. Uh, well, <laughs> trying to see if we can do well. Speaking of used to be into something. Um, do you want to move to ranking of kings? Is that too? Is that too? <laughs> no, that's perfect. Is that too on the nose? Okay. So yeah, uh, we kind of already said our piece with ranking of kings. As it turns out, just a quick recap: it is a fantasy world where there are kings, and one of them is the best. That never comes up in the show. It doesn't matter. We have no idea who the number one king is, um, and. Young Prince Boji uh, has his kingdom usurped by the machinations of a weird mirror witch who's trying to bring the old king back for her own selfish purposes. And through the power of love and friendship and violence, Prince Boji makes everyone friends again. And yeah, the first half of the of the because it was a it was a double core show. The first mm-hmm. half, probably one of my favorite shows of the last ten years. The second half basically a passable battle anime that mm. occasionally tugs on the heartstrings and <laughs> and that <laughs> was like disagrees. that was largely it like the second half of the season like we had said a couple of weeks ago that we were let down by it that it was mostly being bogged down by an overly long battle arc that is never really like uh satisfactorily or satisfactorily resolved and I, I think it's worse than that jeff i i think the oaken <laughs> oaken's battle arc is frankly a car crash like it is if that if we watch that on its own like if imagine the first season of of king's ranking di- didn't exist and we just come come to this it would it was it was just plain bad it's like i think a lot of people give it more more credit because the first season earned so much uh emotional credit with Boji and I think it was just very 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 bad like its animation was at best serviceable sometimes it was it was just plain still it was it was that that very bad battle anime thing of still shots and movement lines and it was not good at all and worse than that I, I do not know how many episodes it dragged on over like it felt like five or six. I do not know if it was half the season, but it felt that way. And no, it was. It was about that long. It 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 was interminable. It was endless. It and it and it literally does not end. Like the they they've painted themselves into a corner with this Oaken character because he's you know present because like Boji's power of fighting turns out to be that he can 
basically just do the fist of the North Star thing where you like poke somebody in their like key meridians or whatever and then they fall over. But this guy is like <laughs> made out of like black oil and tinfoil and just reforms no matter what kind of damage you do to him. So naturally Boji can't do anything to him. And so it's just like episode after episode after episode of all of these, you know, strong fighters who cannot figure out how to, you know, subdue this guy. And then it ends when like Dida being possessed by King Bose, who is like secretly also behind all of the bad things, comes out, like scrunches him into a ball, shoves him into a boulder and then wraps the boulder up in chains and says, OK, now that fight is over. And and then <laughs> I, I think probably. Are you, are you sure? Are you sure that the uh, that the boss did that or that the rider came in? I, it it, it, it kind of feels like that. And then at the very, very end, this other like random uh. dude whose existence I had forgotten about jumps out of the shadows, like frees Oaken, cuts his head off, and throws his head into a lake, and then like a lake monster eats his head. And and like it's just like what yeah. like and like 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 cool. Like Yikes. I wish you had done that ten episodes ago. That would have been great. And yeah, like for the most part, like because the, they really want you to care about Miranjo, mm. the like mysterious like mirror witch who had been sort of behind all of the conspiracies because you know she loves the king and the king loves her and they want to uh you know he wants to bring her back to life because you know i'm all she's got and she wants to, you know him to come back to life because because he's all i've got you know those human bonds but they've been corrupted by their their selfishness and boji shows them the light and you know they literally like ascend to heaven and like shedding tears from the the glittering sky and uh it's it's so maudlin and so over the top like if you don't feel it like it, it wants you to feel something so bad and i sort of did kind of at the end and but yeah it's just a huge disappointment I would say, in its defense, a giant red demon does come out of nowhere and then <laughs> swallow their souls. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It, it, that that, that yeah. came from nowhere. And it was like, oh, remember this tiny red demon we saw in the OP and who appeared once over Boss's bed when he died? Well, he's back and he's big. He's going to yeah. eat your souls and then he's yeah. going to disappear. And that was. He jumped that. out of Adventure Time to give you a scare. And then they all, everybody said, <laughs> we're actually friends now. And everything was good at the end yeah and the adventure continues as boji heads out to found his own kingdom and maybe in five years we'll get a second season and maybe it'll be good but who knows once they need once they need to sell more manga yeah i guess watch so. the first half of the first season it's fantastic then just pretend mm. that it doesn't exist anymore my hot take <laughs> Sad but true. Um, I'm just going to very quickly talk about uh, Princon or Princess Connect. It's a shame Andy isn't here because I watched this second season and I'm generally unsure if the finale wasn't a de deliberate attempt to work gacha mechanics into a plot because it's, uh, it's first collect your team, then do as many fetch quests as you can. Then if you don't beat the boss first time, you can always resave, try again. And if you're stuck, there's, there's this magical MacGuffin you can get which unlocks special powers. And if you defeat her, don't worry, she's added to your collection of, of friends afterwards. And now you've got all the princesses you could ever want. And it just, just felt like a, a very colourful and handsomely animated show that was designed to enable a, a gacha addiction. And yet, I find found it 
just very enjoyable every week. It was just it's such easy watching. And there's worse things in life than that. Like just a, a show which doesn't demand much of you. And I've wondered sometimes if, if a show like this would actually make a, a good introduction to the spectacle of anime just by being something which shows off the lengths that someone can go to with the visuals without having all the problematics that almost seem to be bundled into shows these days. Like It feels like you can't avoid things which require a really high knowledge of tropes, a really high tolerance for fan service, and which then, on top of all that, mm. throw down the law by the bundles. And this was just colourful, it was approachable, and it was easy watching. And I kind of wonder if despite just essentially being a battle show that would make it watchable to someone but i i know some of our, our, our panel have disagreements about showing a battle show to a beginner i mean i think it's fair to say that 99 percent of people's first anime that they're exposed to naturally will end up being a battle anime because if you've watched you know pokemon or dragon ball or i mean maybe i'm just showing my age that this is like <laughs> what i assume is people's first anime but i mean they're still making dragon ball they're still making pokemon they're still making other shows similar to it's that demon slayer yeah like battle shows i think are largely what people are going to run into first especially if they're kids princess connect i think might work at that but it's also sort of a parody of that it's also kind of a parody of gacha games it's kind of a parody it's like it i think it, it comes with a lot of assumptions that of like previous knowledge of other things i've i watched the show a tiny bit i played the game a tiny bit <laughs> and both in both instances it seemed like they were drawing on your familiarity with what you know other things in that genre are going for for you to get the to get the enjoyment out of it that being said i think like you were saying it is it's it's so lightweight and it asks so little of you that you could probably show it to somebody and if they were in you know a generous mood they would probably have a a good time you know anybody who's anime skeptical i don't think this is going to win them over i think it's yeah. like just even just yeah. glance at the the character designs and you're gonna see like oh this is this is an anime show this is not like subverting anything it's not like making you think twice about your preconceptions it's just it's just a very straightforward thing that's kind of cute and kind of kind of enjoyable I mean, in, in every in every single material, Duncan, like a uh, girl with like the big titty bustier uh, is front and center <laughs> in every single one. They they think they know who they're marketing towards, at least. So you were saying wouldn't argue with that, <laughs> but it, it is is notable that it, that compared to many other uh, shows, two of which we're now going to focus on uh, with laser precision. Oh, boy. Um, it really is <laughs> pure and chaste. And if if. Two of them even held hands, they would blush for weeks, but it's that's not something it ever gets into. Or or any or mm. any anime. <laughs> well, uh, the, the two animes we're going to talk about now, oh, I think, had far yes, more than that at times. But first of all, the one which had 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 the most, which is uh, the the case study of Vanitas, uh, which me and Jeff have enjoyed um, this season, I think. Um, it, like I think it had met when we last talked about it. I mentioned I th felt it had many of the problems that King Swanky did in that it was very flashback, very flashback heavy. 
but I do think overall it came I came out far more favorable for it because those flashbacks were about helping understand the inner conflicts of characters not about fleshing out the law of the world and I think that meant that instead of freezing the story in place and just increasing its breadth it, it it actually provided us more on the characters we'd already met and increased our understanding of them and well we did meet a couple of of new characters but only what and it was uh the original vanitas the the vampire who was first of that name who also went by the name Luna or Blue or occasionally uh, by her, one of their adopted children, Father. Although, as far as we can tell, uh, uh, Luna... I'm just going to use Luna because it's the easiest of their names to use without confusing them with other characters. Um, mm. So Luna is an, not quite an elemental force, but they they're, they don't have a def- definitive gender. They're neither... They have aspects of uh, feminine aspects and they have masculine aspects. And considering how they have been this presence in the back of the the anime's lore since the first episode, like who is this mysterious uh, vampire of the blue moon who's like at the core of all this lore? We find absolutely nothing about her powers or her nature in, in the episode and a half we meet her for. We instead actually just mainly get a sense of their personality which is a pretty much a mix of sort of enigmatic sultry surenessness in themselves like a very self-confident character who Romy Paku does like an absolutely outstanding uh, VA performance for just very soft and almost sultry but with this sort of undertone of authority to it it was interesting to just bring someone like that in and just have them remain this complete mystery. But it's also kind of, you know, what Vanitas likes to do is likes to be very, very serious and then just throw in a joke or a visual gag. Uh, this, you know, regal demigod, maybe slightly mad god of a character. She rescues Vanitas and the other new character, Mikhail, from Dr. Moreau, who was another character who we had met earlier, who was like secretly doing. Well, if you know who, who, if you know who Dr. Moreau is, you can probably guess what Dr. Moreau does. Yeah, like, yeah, they they (laughs) use, they borrow his name from, you know, the the creep doctor who's making uh, animal hybrids because he is a creep doctor making vampire hybrids out of children because he wants to sneak into their vampire world, which, you know, we've named a, an, an episode after, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, Several, <laughs> uh, she rescue, rescues them and then uh, attempts to adopt them. But because she is so removed from her own humanity, has no idea what to do, you know, tries to feed them the, you know, the purple cursed, like stew that every anime character makes when they want you to know that they don't know how to cook and you know has this kind of like dochiko you know streak to her just to sort of lighten the atmosphere which vanitas i think it knows when to deploy that and does it fairly Mm -hmm. well um and yeah so like like you were saying like the first half of the season i think we were both kind of down on for the same reason because it got largely bogged down in this sort of fighting arc that was largely in service of furthering vanitas 
and uh and Jean's relationship and digging into her uh past and unfortunately the second arc which largely concerns uh Luna and Mikhail largely just kind of ignores Jean's shows her to the side and we get this other new deep dive into Vanitas himself and I I don't I don't know if I was as won over as you were like I enjoyed the I enjoyed the the comedy takes but like I didn't really care about Mikhail I never thought that Moreau was much more than like you know kind of a gag character that they pulled out in the first season yeah for someone who's supposed to be a villain he's awfully comedic and he's he's he they play him as very much the comedy mad doctor rather than having any sense of menace to him and so it's really difficult to to like feel a sense of jeopardy around what he's going to do because he's just like the smiling mad doctor going oh mm-hmm. and yeah I, I don't know like i thought it was fine i i feel like i'm super negative this season i don't have anything good to say about anything but i know like i i I feel largely the same as i feel about uh king's ranking that vanitas the second half really dropped off got preoccupied with these battles and power levels and lore and new characters and like i think it's i think it was i I don't i don't it was not as interminable as king's ranking by any means but and 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 the they also you know they spend half the second half of the season developing uh like the the vanitas and john are uh like relationship which largely seems to serve as a beard for noe and vanitas which just becomes text in the second <laughs> arc by the end he's like i choose noe i want to you know i if i have to die i will i will be with him forever and you know they're you know they're weeping and they're you know by the end of the uh the end of the last episode but mm. that's always just going to be sort of because like you know both of them are largely motivated to help these girls that they are you know in love with and we are told for a whole episode straight that vanitas is like deeply in love with jean when we could see that they're actually in love with each other and it's kind of tiresome that they just can't be open about that <laughs> i kind of think like this like i th- i felt like this this arc built on the foundation of uh, Noe and uh, Vanitas's his relationships, but in a way which made them feel less like a couple to me, and uh, certainly compared to the first season, and partly maybe we because uh, this se- this season as a whole has has certainly had uh, Jean and uh, Dominique as very prominent characters, and. I was thinking it it came to me the other day that that I hadn't actually thought really about the 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 the, the title of vanitas uh, because obviously that that means vanity and uh, luna certainly has a lot of vanity and uh, vanitas himself has uh, a lot of vanity as well but within art there's this subgenre of paintings called vanitas paintings and they're they're st- still lifes where you have like this selection of objects meant to sort of 
invoke the passing nature of earthly attachments and pleasures. They they were like a a, a whole genre of of things which were sort of not quite devotional art, but but the the, the important thing about that is is that what does considering your mortality mean when you're immortal like you we we here have got a, a world of vampires where mor- mortality is the exception rather than the rule like if a vampire dies it's not because they're expected to die it's because of something unexpected and that kind of made me refra- ref- reframe the youthful tra- trauma of Domi and Noe in particular, where to a race of immortal people, what does it mean to see someone killed in front of you and that, uh, someone who you're expecting to spend the rest of eternity with, who is you are closer to than anyone else in the world? And the answer this show arrives at is that that, in the end, means the same to them as it does to us that even a finite life has as much worth as an infinite one. And one of the the problems Vanitas struggles with himself is to get away from his desire not to let anyone into his life because he's had to kill someone he was very close to previously. And how Noe is dealing with that same trauma of, of... the person he was closest to getting taken away from him and how that actually unites these two people, how it's a it's a shared trauma that leads Vanitas to say, if it comes to the point where I can't control myself anymore, this is the person I want to kill me. Because they understand this fact that accepting that you are going to die eventually is the only way you can open yourself to achieving the things you want. If you forever are working in denial against that you will just never do the things you want or help the people you want. The fact that all the other vampires can't really, un- and the other half-vampire people can't really understand this because they, they, they don't really understand death. It's something which happens to other people, but because of his trauma, Noe has a sense of this, which which is something which, to an extent, is shared by Jean and Domi. Like, that's the thing which unites... Uh, are central for their their loss and their eventual getting past that to past the self blame and past the the struggles to actually be open to trusting other people like the fact that Noe's like big climatic fight against Van Vanitas is ends with him just going right fine I'm not going to fight you anymore if you, if you really want to I'm not going to let you have the excuse of me attacking you who as your reason to be violent if you want to kill me then you have to kill me I'm not going to fight and like that's that's not like a, an unused trope but it, they did it well I don't know I'm I'm maybe I'm I'm giving it too much credit but I just I did feel like we will lionize shows like um like Eva for for dealing with the the the, the prickly hedgehog's dilemma and and Vanitas in its own way had a go at that uh, and I think it's still a, a, something worthwhile exploring. Yeah, that's interesting. It reminds me of just real quick. It reminds me of uh, the Tachikomas in the first season of Ghost in the Shell who don't understand death and are fascinated by it and kind of like 
hunger for it, even as everyone around them's like, you don't want to die. And they're like, we don't know what death is. So maybe it would be, maybe it's great. And y'all don't know. Um, it always feels like better anime <laughs> that just, that just are willing to really, uh, dive into the, the thoughty, the naughty thorn of, uh, of relationships and death and the nature of consciousness. And it's nice to hear that something that has largely been sold to me as horny vampires, uh, at least tried to do a little bit of that, even if Jeff disagrees mm-hmm. that it was successful. I mean, yeah, like I, like hearing you say it out loud, it's like, yeah, okay, I can I can see where that's coming from, but I think the execution was just kind of shonky and kind of confusing. They it didn't feel earned. A lot of the the dramatic you know tension of the last arc just seemed to have appeared whole cloth for that arc. Uh, Vanitas's, you know, insistence of never sharing what happened in his past. Um, and also Dami's, you know, self-hatred in her, like, you know, what felt like what she thought felt like her role in Noe's misery after her brother and his friend, you know, succumbed to the curse and was killed. I thought the like the stakes of the, the, the relationships were never really clear. Like they really wanted you to be invested in these romantic relationships and then treat Noe and Vanitas's relationship as something else. And I'm not sure what they want you to think it is, if not romantic. And for the most part, like I, I like what you're saying. I think that is largely what they were going for. I don't think they really stuck the landing and I mean, that's fair. But like on top of that, it's it's still it's still an entertaining show. It's still a beautiful show. Like if you were going to, you know, if you just want to have you know fun watching an anime, like I didn't get nearly as much as you did out of it. I still enjoyed it for the most part. Like it it wasn't boring. It wasn't annoying. It like it was it was still a, a good show. It was just I, I don't. I, it was like a solid B for me. It was just not. It was just not amazing. Up probably i give it a, a b plus the plus <laughs> certainly earned by uh uh, uh dummy going full tarazuka review at the end spotlight and all to <laughs> stand on top of a fairground wheel like as, as sun, suddenly illuminated by this sh- ray of light holding her sword to the heavens and uh, and snowflakes sparkling around her and then just going doing like a zorro style swish in the air bef- making ice explode and the, those are shots which obviously I, I they were like perfectly framed like i bet those are, are one for one coming out of the uh the manga where someone's gone oh, this character is gonna look really fucking cool here this 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 is that this is their moment go for a girl and yeah, I, I think I, I think that's also might be what i haven't forgiven the show for because i i wanted a lot more dami and i wanted <laughs> dami to be a lot more and I think that maybe that's just my own hangups. <laughs> Sometimes at, at those moments, you kind of want a someone in the show to sort of echo how, what you're you're doing, and the fact that you got Jean going, just going sort of fangirling about about Dami <laughs> coming to her own and going going from like the princess to the hero in in one moment, like that that was that was a great little, little flash of flair to end that arc with. But uh, speaking of shows where uh, things are flashed, um... <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, uh, ending with a little bit of flair, but yeah, same difference. Um, yeah, we watched a uh, dress up, darling. I think Jeff, you wanna you wanna lead on this one? 
Sure. Uh, Dress Up Darling is a romantic comedy about a improbably a social high school boy who has resigned <laughs> his entire life to making Hina dolls, I believe. And his relationship that uh, with a brash, popular, beautiful high school girl who is you know, wears all of her enthusiasm on her sleeve, who really loves anime, really wants to cosplay as her favorite characters, but unfortunately for her, has zero talent in actually executing that. And they combine their skills and powers to create, you know, incredible cosplays and also a budding romantic relationship. Uh, and the... In so yeah, many words, done. yeah, <laughs> yeah, and for the and this is another like lightweight show. It's a lot hornier than anything else that we've talked about, and that includes the like gay vampire romance show. Um, in that it's like it's very sweaty. It has a lot of fan service. It has a lot of you know very low stakes, like you know, lucky pervert kind of jokes going on, and. But it still manages to be a, a good show just by virtue of his execution. The The production value is incredible. The music is very good. The jokes actually land. The, you know, the writing is fun. You care about these characters. Like even the tertiary characters who only show up like for a couple of scenes here and there have a lot of life to them, have a lot of personality. And it, it's, it's, it's almost a shame that it is as horny as it is because this is like a rare, like just good show that just also <laughs> happens to be a sex comedy. Yeah, I I agree with that to a substantial degree. I like I'm here. I promised I would, and I'm going to eat crow. That yes, they did not get as far in their relationship um, as I predicted. We had a the guys falling asleep while they're on the phone, and she confesses. That's that's their confession, which is not any sort of physical physical consummation and to be honest the the escalation of their relationship stalled out after Marin figured out that she had feelings for Goto and then like just kind of enjoyed being able to crush on him which i guess i mean it's different than the usual reason that romance animes don't seal the deal until the very last episode and even then not very much um but the other stuff um, I really enjoyed a lot. I enjoyed how it depicted cosplay stuff as um, requiring a lot of planning and prep mm -hmm. and execution. Um, I actually think that honestly, the reason that it's it's a show that doesn't really have a lot of character interactions outside of the main couple that doesn't really advance the relationship that far um, is because it spends so much time showing what it is to execute even just a one-off costume where you're going to do a quick photo shoot in your room uh, versus a multi uh, multi cosplayer shoot in a location, um, mm -hmm. the level of quality and equipment as well as in costuming, as well as in um, makeup and deforming the face with different kinds of, uh, of costume tape and the like. Uh, I enjoyed those parts. Um, I think Marin is while being like, the coolest girl that you'll never meet um, is still very plausibly like, just a huge nerd i love when when she gets so excited from a costume that she's like oh yeah i watched the show again it's so it's still it holds up so great um that's like a very authentic fandom um it's neither like the database the database animal encyclopedia or the dilettante who only ever watches a few stuff she just seems to be interested in stuff um and really 
take pleasure in her hobbies in a way that really makes her arc with Goto, who is also learning not to regret or be ashamed of his own hobbies. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels impactful. And so even though we didn't cover as much ground as I hoped, I, I did enjoy it. And it was it was night and day about a new episode of this coming out versus a new episode of a Kebby sailor uniform coming out. <laughs> um, because it's I mean, even though I know they're not going to end up together, except that, I mean, like the second to last episode when they're in a love hotel and like they're sitting in each other's lap and they almost kiss before like, you know, the phone yeah, snapping back to reality. As, as it was, as it was always going to like they're willing to 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 tease you a little bit more in a way that I didn't find frustrating because it does feel plausibly like two people just as they're learning to to revel in their hobbies they're learning to revel in each other um and there's a, it ends with a very strong sense that like once they go back to school like and once they're just not spending a summer of cosplaying, like maybe things will move along along and so mm-hmm. I felt a lot less strung along in that respect and yeah it's a beautiful anime gorgeous performances everybody is just killing it um i wish that anime weren't just 12 episodes by default forever mm-hmm. all the time yeah. but it did what it did what it had with what it had and yeah i, I mean it's definitely the winner for me i only watched two episodes two shows this <laughs> season so uh someone was gonna win uh but it was definitely dress up darling by a long by a long stretch <laughs> yeah like yeah it does it really doesn't feel like it was like the winner by default either like it feels like a genuinely good show that I would cautiously recommend to people with a lot of hedging and caveats. <laughs> yeah. I, I I do think it was like a, a standout show. Like I, I think for, for me often um, what will stick into my, my, my mind is just like a single scene in or a couple of scenes, which just feel like virtuoso to me. And I, the, the only show which really had those in, in any real amount this this season was um dress up darling like it just knew how perfectly to frame and time things like to an ex- exquisite degree like in terms of a mix of comedy and emotion i i i can't think of anything more perfect than the moment marin realizes she's in love with uh, gojo yeah it's just yeah. like so perfect just like this mm-hmm. oh, oh wait i oh Oh, and it just just like absolutely <laughs> nails it and has this uh, such a song start of her looking like both flushed and mortified at the same time, which is <laughs> which is quite a look to achieve. And I think the confession was really well done as well because they kind of hmm. um, it's kind of a little bit of a subversion because like as anyone who watches enough romantic anime knows is that the fireworks show is where the confession happens. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. And so they're going to a fireworks show. This is where it's going to happen. Instead, what, what, what he turns to her, she's looking all thing, and then she sticks out her tongue and it's blue because she's been eating blue, blue ice yeah. strings. <laughs> and it was just like that, that perfect little subversion of expectation. And, and then they get home and they're on the phone and it's, it's post-credits even, which is... Um, was an like an interesting choice i guess because it was the last of the series they decided to like have the credits and then have this moment which sort of outlines where they are and and lets this moment almost breathe and have space for marin to have her moments like where she just gets to confess to him to to a sleeping gojo that she loves him and then just laugh at herself for being silly saying it to him knowing that he's asleep and and being sort of embarrassed at herself for saying it and all the same and but happy about it and it was just like this perfect 
little moments where you, it felt authentic. Yeah, yeah, especially like when she goes to like get him new clothes because he only ever wears his work <laughs> uniform, mm-hmm. and like, and her thrill at like, and I can buy clothes that match the clothes of the guy I love, and she's uh, and she's so excited about that, and like having a crush um, be something that's fun and empowering as opposed to something that's that's stressful and makes you wish things were otherwise is maybe not authentic, but it's certainly a more bearable way to depict to depict a crush in an anime, <laughs> especially if you're going to have this sort of romance anime where, where no one ever admits to each other that like, you know, the normal way that people would be like, Hey, that moment in the, in the love hotel was like, do we want to talk about that? Because that was something was happening there. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's always just like sweep it under the rug. We have another episode to get through. Um, but yeah, I, I, I liked it. I, I thought the fan service was egregious. Um, I think it's less egregious than a lot of people think. I think that uh, <laughs> that uh, in some ways, like naming Voldemort is worse than actual Voldemort, so to speak. And it comes to fan service, like not pretending that this is something accidental or something that you're not aware of uh, is seen as more of a faux pas than actually having TNA in your anime. So I don't think that. I mean, like I think we said in the beginning, I don't think that Dress Up Darling is actually that that much hornier than a Kebby. It's just that it's not doing the like the fig leaf of like, oh, these are just girls playing, you yeah. know, they're just a, a girl like putting her lips to the back of someone's knees um, just innocently. There's no sex at all going yeah. on here at all. Yeah, like these feel like characters that, who have actual feelings towards one another. And it's also it feels like. You know, we were introduced to the idea that Marin tends to run wild with her, you know, with her own sort of like selfish desires and does not bother to communicate with Gojo, who has Mm -hmm. a tendency of taking things way too far, way too literally or being completely, uh, you know, so like there are instances where you can see like, okay, like I could see like where this, you know, could develop into something with some substance. I don't know if they'll ever actually do that you know there is a moment at the end of one episode where she or it was right at the beginning of an episode where she realized that gojo had been helping uh the younger sister of juju uh uh marin's like cosplay idol uh mm-hmm. to you know to, to develop her own like costume and she's like oh wait you've been spending a time alone with this other girl and like she has this like stab of jealousy and then that just immediately goes out the window and we have two entire episodes of like fake not dates and like very chaste cute hanging out and you never and that never comes up again and you could you could see i would argue real real fucking dates honestly like yeah. except by the logic of anime those yeah, are yeah, real yeah. dates they that's, went on them together <laughs> that's what that's what i mean like by like like fake not yes. dates like they like they go out okay they, it's, a, it's a double negative to I get each it, other. Yes. yeah <laughs> where yeah and, but like the, like it feels like at some point somebody is going to have to tell marion that like you actually need to like tell this guy because he will he yeah. will die if you don't like let him know because he will just die of mortification of a completely natural interaction because you are obviously in love with him and he just doesn't know he's in love with you. <laughs> so like you need to like help you need to like save this guy's life because he will die if you mm-hmm. if you don't say something. Or, or, or even in just less comedic terms, like if you wait a year after this intimate of a friendship to be like, oh yeah, by the way, I've been in love with you since like two months after we met like yeah he's probably gonna be unhappy about that i would be unhappy about that i don't know i mean gojo is like it's like it's kind of like weirdly 
similar to Akebi in that, like, we are told that he has basically lived his entire life completely isolated, completely wrapped up in his own world. And, you know, his, you know, he just sort of accidentally, you know, lets the world know that he is this, like, amazing, like, male wife who has all of these amazing skills and is extremely <laughs> supportive and is extremely sweet. And so, like, you know, Marin, you know, finding this guy and just being like, he's mine. And, <laughs> and like and you know and every other female character of course is like slowly falling in love with him because of how amazing he is and how supportive he is and yeah i was surprised i was surprised that that the uh the two sisters like hung out with him and both of them kind of had a moment of like wow this guy's pretty incredible and then they're just not in the show yeah ever <laughs> like, they have their, like their arc finished and it's like get out of here it's Marin's turn yeah we we have two more cosplays from the opening that we got to get through. Come on, chop chop people! Yeah, <laughs> they're the horniest <laughs> ones. <laughs> I did like that the two sisters both also had moments where they thought, "Wow, Marin's awesome!" Uh, like, yeah, that's true. And that where, is true. Where Marin had moments where uh, she she thought both of they they were awesome, and like like one of my other favorite moments is when the the younger sister uh, wants to cosplay as as the as an older brother, which is which was like a, a funny little, little uh, a twist in itself. Like, so the first time Marin and her sister see her cosplay, like they're just like super going super fangirl for her, like like just you you just get the shot and both just jumping up and down in front of the thing, going, "Wow, you look so incredible! You're so amazing! You're so how did mm -hmm. you do that? How do you do? This? You're so good!" And it's like just like them being so positive and like appreciating how well she pulled it off like there's real empathy and recognition of people as like f fellow travelers within this this hobby that they've they've chosen and mm -hmm. like seeing that that shared joy and appreciation of each other that's something i can definitely as associate with when i've been really into a hobby and i find someone else who appreciates my work and I, I think what they've done is great as well. Like that's a, that's a really good life moment, and it's it was it was good to see them have have that. Well, let's go ahead and cut to a break. But first, I do want to point out that if you liked, um, was it like Succubus IDK or whatever the the last thing that she cosplayed yeah. for, like a Succubus bothering a manga artist? Uh, next next season, tune in. Well, this coming season, tune in for Miss Corporate Slave wants to be healed by a lowly spirit. Uh, which is where a little ghost girl is worried that a like hardworking corporate woman is spending too much time at work and is trying to like get her to relax more. So it looks like the exact same show. <laughs> uh, if you if you really if you really like that if you really like that hook, there's something for yeah. you apparently. How, how that 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 show's name ever got onto subtitles without being like 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 it's the closest thing to being being censored. Like dear God. Like, I mean, they aired episodes of Interspecies Investigators, Duncan. I guess. So, like, I don't think I don't think there's oversight that could stop that. All right, let's come back in a little bit. <laughs> As Duncan needs to decompress. <laughs> And we're back. For the second half, we're going to start with talking about the disappearance of Nakato Yuki-chan, a spin-off of the beloved yet controversial uh, uh, melancholy of Hurhi Suzumiya, 
Um, not done by uh, KyoAni. I think this one's done by Satellite. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's just some mm-hmm. nobodies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily nobodies, but definitely not with this with the the clout of KyoAni. And then after we'll talk about Magic Knight Ray Earth, mm-hmm. uh, which I have finished the first season of. But Jeff, take it away. Yeah. Um. I not only did I watch the disappearance of Nagato Yuki Chen, I rewatched it for the second time in oh, no. three years, and I have no. I I'm here to tell you that I don't know why. I don't know why I like this show. I don't know why I find it extremely watchable. I could probably sit through the whole thing in one seat, sitting again, and I don't know why. It's such a it's such a weird show. Like I don't know why it exists. Other than somebody like wanted to cash in on the because I think it was like a 10 year anniversary of something or maybe a five year anniversary of something. I honestly don't know why it is here. Like it's it's so the the basic premise of the show is that it's an alternate universe where the characters from the uh, the melancholy of Haruhi uh, Suzumiya are just like normal high school kids. Haruhi is not God. She is, you know, she's at a different school and uh, Nagato Yuki is not a alien. She is just a moe blob little girl who is trying to get her life together and has a crush on Kyon. And it's just like a very sort of low stakes show about her sort of working up her confidence to let him know how she feels and doing you know slice of life anime stuff so you know they go to the beach they go to the cultural festival they go to you know they have a christmas party you know stuff like that and then there's like a very bizarre three to four episode arc where she has a total mental break reverts into the Nagato Yuki that you remember from the other show who develops her own crush on Kyon tells her tells him that he she loves him disappears back into being you know the other Yuki which completely like sours her potential relationship with Kyon and it just kind of ends with that you know she doesn't really understand his feelings for her. He confesses and says goodbye to alternate Yuki during a uh, like a, a summer festival during the the fireworks, and it just kind of ends. And it's a, it's a very bittersweet show. It's like weirdly anti romance or anti romantic, uh, but at the same time the vibes are just so chill. Like Asakura is a character who in the original series turned out to be a killer cyborg who gets like deleted from existence in like the third episode and is never to be heard from again. She plays a major part as being this sort of motherly, you know, big sister type who's taking care of Yuki and you you just kind of like wallow in this extremely, I guess it's just Moe like, good vibes it's it's just pure my way yeah but at the same time is like has this weird mean streak where they just hate nagato and don't want her to be happy ever (laughs) (laughs) and i I, i'm up to watch it again and i cannot explain to you why 
I don't know what it is that I like every time I start an episode, it feels like it's over in five minutes. And, you know, they're they're standard length. There's nothing they, happens. Jeff. Yeah. But like normally that would be boring. Like <laughs> I watched a Kebby this season and it was a struggle to make it to the end of the credits every time. Whereas with this show, like I could sit through three episodes and like. Be like, oh, I guess I should do something else. Like, I'm still up for more. And I, oh, I, there's some kind of weird alchemy that just works in my brain in this, and I do not know what it is. And it's kind of worrisome. <laughs> yeah, I, I was surprised when you said that because I was going to say if if I ha- we hadn't had a conversation before this this podcast, I would have suggested that well, it's because you already have these characters so well established by the mainline series um, that having just like a like diluted with uh with warm water uh version of it um is like a nice change of pace while still reaffirming these characters core traits but not only do i think everyone has a different personality in disappearance of nagato yuki chan um you haven't even seen uh the the movie that this setup is a spin-off for yeah uh, the disappearance <laughs> of her suzumiya so it so like I don't know. I'm sure there's some way that I could flip it around. It could be like, well, you don't know all these characters' backstories, which is why they feel so rich. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I watched it. It's fine. It's yeah. super. <laughs> it's super bland for me. I kind of. I also think that the message of the movie, um, where where it's like, no, you can't love someone into wellness. Like love doesn't purify your actions. You can't really want something good to happen to somebody, and it'll happen, and that'll be. Yeah, and this is just like forget all that. What if, what if you could just have like nice, easy days where, where like as long as you act sincerely, as long as you try hard, like no one gets too hurt. So I don't know. I'm glad you like it. I <laughs> I would rather watch the uh, the like cheap CG uh, ONA uh, the <laughs> melancholy melancholy Suzumiya Chan rather than this because that's funnier. This one, I think, besides Asakura, who is extremely funny and yep. is funny in every uh, spinoff of Hurhi. Um, yeah, it's not a very funny show otherwise, but it is cute. It's got a soft, like, warm butter look to all the characters as opposed to the really clean KyoAni lines. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. G- good for you. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. <laughs> I, I found a nice hug pillow that I cannot offer or explain <laughs> to anybody else. It's just... I'll probably watch it again sometime in the next couple of years. I don't know why. I promise I won't talk about it again. <laughs> have, have you wa- have at least tell me you you have now watched the the movie right? Correct. I, I yes. just I have I I plan to. I just haven't had the time Jeff, in the last few days. Me. I'm oh. sorry. I apologize. I was too busy rewatching the the spinoff <laughs> that got announced in 2013 as some like uh, weird. And the important date of December 18th, 2013, um, in the plot of the disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya was the occasion for the announcements of the disappearance of Nagato Yuki-chan. That's like the special thing. But yeah, there's there are, there are several uh, spinoffs of Haruhi that are in manga form. They're pretty, pretty prolific. Um, but this one isn't even written by the the author. It's nope. it's uh, I think it's written by the uh, the artist who does the art for the for the author. Yeah, looks like that. You yeah. make it sound almost like it's like a bag of flavorless crisps that you like start eating and like you keep eating them and you're not sure why, but it's there's there's there's, there's just enough salt on in in them to make you you more hungry and more thirsty that you keep eating it and I mean and by the time this, you're done, that could very well be it because my favorite type of potato chips is like original ripples. <laughs> it's got the it's got the satisfying crunch, but 
it doesn't ask anything of you. <laughs> There's no flavor. It's just <laughs> salt and fat makes you feel good <laughs> until you watch have too much and then you feel bad and then you forget about that and do it again. <laughs> I, I I have to correct um, since I am wrong. Puyo, uh, the artist, did the did the spinoff manga Haruhi Chan, which the gag manga the gag anime is based on, and then did Disappearance of Nagato Yuki Chan, and then illustrated the intrigues of Itsuki Koizumi. And then did backgrounds for There Is No Haruhi in My Classroom, which is another spinoff. So they just work on spinoffs that the other people don't want to do, I guess. <laughs> Good for them. All right, the cash cow. Yeah, you're yep. telling me. Yep. Um, well, speaking, speaking of cash cows, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. I mean, Ray Earth was super successful in its day. Yeah, I finished Magical Night Ray Earth. It took uh, the first season, so the first 20 episodes. Um, it took me longer than expected because I was expecting this to be a ultimately a mecha anime with heavy shoujo magical girl flavoring. Uh, what I got instead was a magical girl anime um, where instead of like the spirit of the moon or some shit, that's just a giant robot that takes the form of a big flame dog. I, at a certain point watching it, I had to just like let myself accept the fact that it's never going to pick up. Every episode is going to be very self-contained. They're going to meet a uh, a bad person. They are going to uh, approach it with the best intentions, maybe learn a little bit about personal resiliency and loyalty, and then defeat the person um, just by trying hard. So very a very younger sort of like plot rhythm to it, younger audience focused. Um, I like the focus on personal responsibility and like development, um, but and I like how characters grow, especially Umi, the the spoiled rich girl who just becomes kind of uh, shitty and terrible in the beginning, and then gradually, as as she's supported by her friends, becomes a very strong, articulate person. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, I don't think I ever really like believed in Sephiro, the land that they're brought to as a real place. Um, there just aren't enough characters. Like it has the three girls from another world. It has the bad guy and the people aiding him or imprisoned by him, and then exactly three allies, uh, several of most of whom are either dead or run away uh, by the end of the show. So like saving if their ideas that they need to save this land that's being destroyed. Uh, I need to see people there. I don't like, like like a land that six people live in. Like, yeah, sure. I don't want them to die, but it's just six people and a reality that seems largely barren. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end, I did like the twist. I liked the idea that they weren't built to free her, um, but instead that the, the free the princess who summoned them, but instead that this is like the last shred of duty that the, that the princess who's gone mad with love for the supposedly evil high priest who's just trying to protect her, um, that last shred of duty summons the three girls to assassinate her because no one in the land of Sephiro can assassinate uh, the princess who, like, controls the fate of the world. So this is just literally a switch that was put into place in case the... Um, in case the the princess ruling the land like goes off script, uh, then she has then she summons people to kill her, and that was a nice twist. And I I like that they come back and they come back as opposed to like years later they come back as a sec like the second they left uh, Tokyo and they just immediately run to each other and hug each other and they're so happy to be back. I like the ending a lot. I wish I hadn't had to spend twenty episodes getting there and kind of being like 
okay, so they're going to find a robot and the robot's going to be like, you aren't worthy to wield me. And then they'll do something brave. And then the robot's like, okay, you are worthy to wield me, but it's not the end of the show yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to go away for a bit. Um, (laughs) See you in episode 20 or episode 19, I guess, technically. Um, Yeah. I, I have heard that the remaining episodes are uh, not well regarded because, uh, well, they go back and we just established in a very cool twist that, uh, they only get summoned there to assassinate the ruler of the land as an absolute failsafe measure. So the fact that they get like summoned back and are probably not going to do that, I hope not because it's not as interesting without the twist. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I hopefully I'll I will find something surprising or weird to like. Um, just like I found myself liking the ending. But overall, this has been a very mixed bag. It's definitely not the, the absolute delight that Escaflone turned out to be when I finally got around to watching it. Could you uh, clarify something for me, Ben? Absolutely. Do, do they um, do they carry through on the assassination or not? Yeah, they do. Well, she, I mean, she's like, so they get to the final crystal where she's held and there have been weird, weird clues piling up that something's not as it seems when we finally start to see like uh, the evil high priest uh, comes to like check on the pool where the girl is supposedly uh, the princess is supposedly imprisoned um, and they speak to each other with much more affection and then his like loyal uh, his loyal lightning dog who got turned into an elf and has to turn back into a lightning dog to fight the girls at the end which is a very I mean it's a very clamp development honestly um, and he's like oh I know the real reason that you're like imprisoning her and yeah, discover she's not imprisoning. She's just hanging out with the high priest because she loves him, and he's fighting the the magical knights not because he's an evil guy who's trying to keep her from being rescued, but because he knows that they're coming to murder the love of his life. And they do kill him, and they free her. And she's like, "This is unforgivable. I'm going to kill every single one of you. I, I I have only one wish, which is to avenge my love." And they have to talk with like the psychic echo of the princess's like much more infantilized self, who is. The, the side that's still like sticking to her her duty uh, to to protect the land and to love no one except the land of Sephiro. Um, and they have to get talked up and beaten up um, to get to the point where they finally do kill her. And she's like, thank you. Now I get to be now I my duty is over and I get to be with my love and she dies. And then they get sent back immediately because their job's done. They killed her. It was a good twist. I liked it. Um, if I was 13 and um, really into card capture Sakura and that sort mm-hmm. of like clamp milieu of of fantasy and magical girl stuff i think it would have rocked my world as as it was it was a drink of water in a desert that had um largely shown me all of its charms by the end and i've got i've got more episodes to watch so we'll see we'll see how that goes uh but at least it picked up near the end at the very end even as i was telling myself that it was never going to pick up uh i am very yeah very curious to see if you like if you're going to watch the the second uh season if you have the opposite take that everybody else does because it seems like you were saying you know the first season is the good one the second one is the bad one and i really wonder if it's because they sort of start leaning into the weird twists and get and it gets more psychological and it's just because it doesn't have the stature of an evangelion or like the the cultural milieu that like nobody has pushed back on the people who are like I'm tired of all the talking I just want the robot fights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really funny that they don't even use the robots until like the second to last episode. Which granted, last two episodes are supposed to be like a like a two parter. They brag about it in the 
in the preview after episode 18. They're like, this is going to be an hour long finale where you finally get to see them fighting robots. And granted, the robots are cool. They like float in like crystal, like soap bubbles in the middle of them. Um, and yeah, the the robot designs, as Duncan just pointed out in the chat, are, are pretty fucking good. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish I wish we got to see the robots more. Um, they all have like a cool sigil. They all have like weird, like little callbacks to their armor. Um, there's a funny thing that like all of them are associated with ele- elements and they don't really realize it yet. Like when one of them drops a sword as she gets taken away and the other like tries to bring the sword and it's like really heavy. And it's like, oh, it's because she's the elemental of rock. She's like, so like, yeah, her sword is like really heavy. And they're like, we can't bring you your sword. It's really heavy. And she's like, what are you talking about? It's so light. Here, let me try your sword. And she takes Umi's sword and it just turns into water in her hands. And she's like, that's weird. Uh, and then later on, Fire Girl, it becomes like <laughs> a kind of... Uh, a Chekhov's gun that like someone picks up the fire sword and is <laughs> horribly engulfed in flame okay. because it's actually just a piece of elemental <laughs> fire, not a sword. That it's good. I mean, well. Those twists are good. I, I wish we'd had more time with like their specific powers and the robots, but it really focuses very heavily on them, this group of three friends and one weird mochi rabbit um, just going through the land and just kind of like learning to trust each other and to trust their ability to grow into the challenges that they face. Um, but it does kind of feel like a claustrophobic show because there just aren't that many other characters. And supposedly, I don't know, I only skimmed the episode descriptions for like the next season, but supposedly there's going to be like a weird succession crisis or something. And I guess that's why they're being brought back to like help moderate the succession crisis. I might be wrong. <laughs> I'm, I tried not to read too detailed so I wouldn't bias myself. But yeah, it might be good. It might also be like the the classic like island in Africa arcs of uh, Nadia and the Secret of Blue Water where they're just like, shit, this is popular. Let's just stick 20 episodes in the middle of our episode order. And they're like, mm. we don't really have ideas. And like, just just keep them there. Like, like. I don't know. They meet a clown. They meet a traveling peddler. Uh, they lose their memory. Whatever. Just just keep the show going. So I am worried about that, uh, especially because, I don't know, I'm someone who hasn't ever had a particularly great relationship with clamp media. I mean, I love X-1999 as just like a work of comedy, but like I never watched Cardcaptor Sakura or Tsubasa Reservoir Chronicles or Triple X-Holic or I'm out of I'm out of clamp titles. So <laughs> that sort of thing. Is it worth saying at this point, Ben, whether or not you feel the visual design of the the characters really plays into what people have come to expect of Clamp, which is these incredibly... I think Triple uh, Xaholic uh, kind of is the trope everyone goes to, like these incredibly thin characters with heads which are way out of proportion to the rest of their body. And for what I've seen, Ray Earth looks far more consistent and more normal, less less stylized clamp. Yeah, in terms of art, the only thing that's really clamp is Mokuna, who is, again, just like a piece of mochi turned alive <laughs> and um, given magical powers that... Like every time that they're just like, Mokuna, you knew and you didn't help us. And he's just like, poo poo. It's, I don't know. That's really funny. But, but otherwise, no, it is, I think it's deliberately appealing to a kind of mainstream magical girl stuff. And they don't go really too far uh, off course with just these really ridiculous designs. They want the girls to look like normal uh, characters. There's a lot of, a lot of super deformed and chibi art in the beginning that, sadly goes away as the show begins to pretend to like a lot more gravity. Mm. Uh, but otherwise 
No, I think it's fairly it's fairly normal art. I mean, everyone has like has like massive shoulders, but it's because it's a fantasy anime where <laughs> everyone is wearing those that that classic uh record of lotus or steez oh yeah where they're just just huge shoulder pads with capes like hanging like a like a changing room curtain around their body yeah um, which i like i don't i don't dislike that uh in fact the graphical design is generally good which is what why i'm so sad that there aren't more characters for me to to <laughs> like if i if you're not into the three magical girls the princess <sighs> the evil the evil priest or like the roguish like mer- traveling mercenary who ends up being the princess's brother sorry spoilers um, so that you can give them a, an item that lets them find the princess. It's very mechanical. I'm not thrilled with it. Yeah. But yeah. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't glom onto those characters, you don't have a lot of visual splendor to look, to, to look at. It's kind of funny that the ED just has all the characters in the show parade by, and then they parade back the other way. And then some of them come back a third time and it's just <laughs> like, okay, so you all, y'all really don't have enough, have enough people to, if the ED is supposed to drive home that like, look at this full world full of different fantasy figures. And then you have to like have the same 10 people just walk back and forth with the camera three times. Like that's, that's kind of damning. I mean, to be fair, they did have like a brief shot of like a bunch of people hiding in a cave uh, while the world was being destroyed at the end. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, it may be that I'll just be contrary. Although me contrary, never. Uh, and really like the second half, but first half was definitely more a history lesson than discovering an, a new anime to love. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking at the the Ray Earth wiki because this is probably the closest I'll ever get to actually watching it. <laughs> I am amused that all of the characters' names are just the element that they represent, like Umi. I was yeah. like, wait a minute, that's that's that means ocean, and sure enough, her names, the character for her name is just ocean. Same thing, Foo is just wind. And Hikaru. almost all of the key visuals that I'm finding on here are way more interesting and cool and exciting than anything that I saw on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can kind of tell that it was a show made by manga artists. <laughs> Maybe that that's not damning because, I mean, good art can drive a, a production pretty darn far, mm-hmm. even if it's like a Kebby and there's like no great characterization underpinning it. Um, but yeah. We'll see. I don't want to be too down on it. And if you watched Ray Earth um, as a kid and watch it again, it will probably hold up for you. It is honestly my fault for expecting another Escaflone, um, which I shouldn't because Escaflone is perfect. So, <laughs> uh, although speaking of shows that have like second second halves that are considered to be a huge letdown that betrays the potential of the first half, um, we have a lot of those in this episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, let's go ahead and call it there. So next episode, we will be talking about the beginning of the spring 2022 anime season. Uh, On my part, at least, looks a little barren, but maybe people will find stuff to love. I'm ready to be disappointed. Always have to be. I mean, as an anime fan. Mm -hmm. Remember, rate, review, subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Find us on Twitter at Keyframes Pod. Email us questions. Uh, did you like Ray Earth? That's one. You can email uh, at keyframespodcast at gmail.com. And of course, tell a friend. Tell Andy since he's not here. Yeah. Thank heavens. Tell him that you don't like uh, Akabi, and uh, he'll he'll tell you that he'll come and he'll come and he'll he'll cut you. And uh, yeah, I mean, what he'll do is he'll actually tell you that it's not supposed to have conflict. Which, I mean, I don't believe that all stories have to have conflict. All stories are helped by a little conflict. I don't know. We don't need to re- rehash this. <laughs> <sighs> 
say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.